Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be talking about red-black in March of the Machine. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, and getting right into it, red-black is the second worst performing color pair ahead of white-black, but like pretty close to the other red archetypes. Um, Basically, my narrative about the bottom half of archetypes in this format would be that white-black suffers from a lack of payoff in that all of the gold, white, and black cards are somewhere between not useful and actively bad, and I think the win rate of white-black actually suffers somewhat by people getting tricked into playing with the gold cards, which actually makes their deck worse, whereas usually the gold cards are a reward for finding an open lane. And then after white-black, all the red decks perform the worst because red is the worst color in the format by a lot. So red is weak, and the gold cards aren't that great, but there are some reasonable synergies uh, available to that color pair, some cards that you're looking for a lot more than other people are that can help give you some kind of like reason to be there and um, a way to get value out of late picks in the draft and stuff you know what you're looking for so kind of big picture according to the win rates in terms of like which cards individually perform well and poorly it looks like black red wants to play uh very very cheap creatures and lots of removal um the the, the cheap creatures some of them specifically others not so much and most of the removal uh perform pretty well and a vast majority of the three and all of the four and five mana creatures don't perform well. Also, I guess, notably, in addition to just like a bunch of creatures and removal, uh, Bladed Battle Fan, the artifact that for one and a black that uh, gives a creature plus one power, equips to a creature when it enters, gives that creature indestructible, equips for one to just give plus one power after that, performs well in red-black, because it's a trick that's usually going to like save a creature, maybe kill a creature, and then also leaves you with an object, and red-black uses objects well. The equipment itself is actually pretty reasonable because you're often fairly wide with small creatures, but also you have cards that uh, let you sacrifice an artifact for value, and most of what Battlefan is offering is the turn it enters, and then an equipment that just gives plus one extra power is pretty low impact, so sacrificing that, turning it into a full card or something can be pretty good. Deadly Derision, the uh, Black Black 2 instant destroy a creature, make a treasure, is the best performing common uh, in this color combination by a lot. Same situation as the Battle Fan, where uh, this is a really good high impact spell that leaves you with an artifact, and then you can you know just use that as a treasure, or you can sacrifice it to any of your things that's that have a way to sacrifice artifacts for something and get even more value out of it. Deadly Derision, Volcanic Spite, and Final Flourish are the top performing commons, so just, you know, go to removal. But incidentally, among top players, Icker Drinker passes Volcanic Spite and several cards pass Final Flourish. I don't know precisely what to say about like why that is, like why Icker Drinker moves above removal for top players but it happens, and uh, I mean, but it, it's not a very big difference. Those are all, you know, the good commons. Speaking of uh, cards that 
change rankings in the hand of top players. Trailblazing Historian, the one in a red, one three haste that can tap to give something haste, has amusing stats in that it has really, really bad stats in aggregates and very good stats with an extremely small sample size among top players. My hypothesis on what's going on there is that top players probably only play Trailblazing Historian in decks with Hirobi, Death's Whisper, the uh, 4-mana 4-4 that makes any creature die when it's targeted, and in conjunction or combination with Trailblazing Historian is very powerful, and uh, otherwise both cards are pretty bad. So I would guess that that's why Trailblazing Historian has like weirdly high stats when played by the best players, is just that if Hirobi is in your deck, then it's a good card. The common threats that you're looking for are Icker Drinker, uh, the 1-1 one, one for black lifelink that you can spend a black and exit out from your graveyard to incubate two, best creature in these colors, followed by Rouse Reinforcements, one in red sorcery that makes two 1-1 one, one blue and red elementals, followed by Marauding Dreadship, the 3-mana uh, 4-1 vehicle that incubates two and has haste, and uh, crew two, and Nizumi Informant, the uh, one in a black, one one um, ETB make your opponent discard a card. So all of those have one toughness. Only the dreadship has more uh, stats than that, unless you count the uh, incubator that comes from uh, Icker Drinker. Just just cheap value stuff. Additional playable threats: uh, Hanger Scrounger. That's the three mana two one uh, backup one that lets creatures, uh, when it becomes tapped, you draw a card, you discard a card, draw a card. Dredge Recycler, that's the one in a black 2-2 two -two that can tap, sacrifice a creature, maybe creature or artifact, probably creature or artifact, to drain your opponent for one. I suspect that that one is appreciably better if your deck has Furnace Rains in it than if it doesn't. Uh, followed by, that's the Threaten, the Uncommon Threaten. Followed by Skittering Surveyor, the three mana one two that searches for land on ETB. Uh, Aki Scrap Chomper, the red one one. You can spend one in a red and tap it and sacrifice an artifact or land to draw a card. And Etched Familiar, uh, two and a black three two artifact creature that drains your opponent for two when it dies. So that's more cheap cards with the Scrap Chomper and the Recycler, and then three mana creatures that uh, basically provide some kind of immediate or uh, an effect regardless of whether they stay, stay alive. And then other playable commons outside of the top removal spells and those creatures and Battlefan. Well, Battlefan is one of the ones I've listed here. So Battlefan, uh, Corrupted Conviction, that's the village rights, black sack creature draw two. Searing Barb, three mana sorcery, deal two, incubate one. Um, when I was going over the red commons yesterday, I mentioned that Searing Barb just kind of wasn't it, that I thought it might be good in red-black and was disappointed with it. Turns out it actually has okay stats in red-black. The free artifacts really do matter in this archetype, and when you have a bunch of other removal that can kill their bigger stuff, Searing Barb being a small thing is apparently fine. Um, still very much on the you know borderline playable range, but like better than all the cards I'm not mentioning, and that's a lot of cards. Beamtown Beatstick, the 
uh, red equipment that gives plus one plus O and menace and uh, makes treasure when it damages your opponent. Unseal the Necropolis. Both players mill three, return two creatures in, from your graveyard to your hand instant, and vanquish the weak. Uh, two in a red, destroy target creature with power. Or, sorry, two in a black, destroy target creature with power three or less. So that's the full list of commons you want to be playing. There are a lot of uh, other commons that frequently see play in red black but don't perform well. Uh, we'll talk more about that, those in a little bit. Fearless Scald, the five mana three two double strike backup or backup one double strike creature, um, is the only uncommon or common creature that costs more than three mana and has a good win rate. This form, this deck is really about just like cheap stuff and then some nod to immediate impact and uh, removal. Top uncommons generally in this archetype. Furnace Reigns, that's the Threaten, uh, steal their creature, and if when it damages them, you make a treasure. Invasion of Asgul, that's the red-black edict, and deal one invasion that flips into a 2-1 menace that grows every turn at the end of every turn where something died. Scornblade Berserker, the one mana 0-1 backup one, spend a colorless to sacrifice and draw a card. Penrith Spell Spear, the two mana um, Prowess Trampler that can transform. Stoke the Flames, uh, two red red Convoke Deal 4. Invasion of Mercadia, the Tormenting Voice Invasion that becomes a 3 3 Spell Shaper. Collective Nightmare, the minus three minus three uh, Convoke Instant for two and a black. Blight Reaper Thalid, the one and a black 2 1 that can transform into a 3 3 that makes it Thalid when it uh, transforms or dies. Uh, Fearless Scald, which I mentioned a little while ago. Merciless Repurposing, the 6-mana Exile Rebel Spell that incubates 3. And Invasion of Eldraine, the 4-mana Mind Rot that becomes Prickle Fairies, the 2-2 Flyer that uh, deals 2 to your opponent if they have a small hand. That's a decent list of the uncommons you should be looking out for. So, moving on to underrated commons. These are commons that I've already mentioned, but that I think are currently specifically not just good, but undervalued. They don't get played enough or go too late. Icker Drinker, Rouse Reinforcements, Marauding Dreadship, and Bladed Battle Fan. Um, those are the cards that you can kind of expect to be able to pick up a little bit later, get some you know value by uh, spending your middle-of-the-pack picks on them. Overrated comments. Heretic Prankster, the one in a red 2-1 that uh, transforms into a 3-2 that uh, makes your opponent sacrifice a creature when it dies, is wildly overrated. Uh, it is the most played card in black-red, but has a 50.9% game in hand win rate. That's a win rate that suggests that you should never be playing the card, and instead people seem to be always playing the card in uh, black-red. Um, it does look like a card that should be played in red black it transforms for black it does something when you sacrifice it but it's just too much mana for what you get and um the stats uh really really don't like it and then aetherblade agent the one one death toucher uh that can transform into a three three death touch that draws a card when it hits your opponent also uh performs a lot worse than how early it's taken how or how frequently it's played suggests that it should so etch familiar is played a little bit too much taken a little bit too highly but eh, only barely noteworthy 
Icker Shade is appreciably played and very, very bad. Vanquish the Weak is fine, but taken too highly. And then underrated uncommons. Invasion of Asgul, uh, the red-black invasion, very strong, but it goes late, which you would expect for a red-black card. That's not really to say that anyone's doing anything wrong, just that uh, Asgul should be seen as a payoff for being red-black or potentially a card that you might see in the middle of the pack that might make you uh, move into red-black if you were kind of red or black and hadn't chosen a second color. It's a really good card, and it's a card that you can get, you know, after fourth, fifth picks, uh, not infrequently. Uh, and then Furnace Reigns is an even stronger red-black card that goes even later. So uh, where you see Invasion of Asgul as a red-black gold card that suggests that red-black is open or you should be drafting it, I would suggest that you should try to imagine that Furnace Reigns has the same border. Think of that as a black-red card, and it's even better and goes later than Invasion of Asgul. So the same thing, but more so. Overrated on commons. Invasion of Ulgratha, the 5-mana DL3 gain 3 that uh, transforms into the 3-3 flyer. Mer Merciless Repurposing and Completed Huntmaster. All of those have stats that are worse than how highly they're taken. Notably, I'll say again, I'm kind of an apologist for all of these cards. I don't think any of them are unplayable, and I kind of expect to... Uh, personally performs slightly better with each of them than the stats suggest, but that might be my own biases and could be wrong. Looking at recent trophy decks for Red Black, the main thing that stands out to me is how much like the composition of the decks and the cards people are playing don't really line up with uh, the stats about which cards are performing well. Like Studying the stats and what they suggest about what decks should look like leads to this kind of you know super low curve and a bunch of removal uh and then some bombs kind of strategy that doesn't really seem to be how most of the decks that are trophying are built but also the decks that are trophying don't really look better to me and i kind of think that this is just that people are actually building their red-black decks wrong, and that there is uh, an opportunity to perform better with red-black than what we've been seeing uh, if you prioritize the right cards and build the deck correctly. But also, maybe there's something weird going on here where just playing all of the cards that win most leads to a deck that doesn't have enough like total impact and so decks that play some number of bad cards just to have a higher curve actually trophy more very very hard to know which of those is true from the stats and because red black isn't that good i haven't drafted it that much so i'm not totally sure what's going on there but my current theory is that it like I, i've always liked the decks that are a bunch of like Icker Drinkers and Rouse Reinforcements and, you know, the, the cards that perform well, I think they're good and it makes sense to just like play a bunch of those things. And then you do want some rares um, to be your high impact cards in those decks. And I do think that kind of the like three and four mana common and uncommon creatures are just kind of like mopey and not worth their cost. And I, I think that 
people in aggregate are not approaching red black correctly um, and you should specifically look to lower the curve a little bit yeah so that's it's kind of what i was able to glean from looking at the stats as for my own experiences um i'll once again bring up uh remote and great sword uh just because i've personally had good experiences with it in red black specifically with Icker Drinker and Fearless Scald as the big cards that let it do something good. It has among the worst stats, and I think that the thing that's going on here is that you are supposed to be prioritizing removal enough to not have enough creatures to want expensive Convoke cards, even if your creatures are cheap. But if you end up with more of the like Icker Drinkers and Rouse reinforcements and fewer of the like Deadly Derisions, Final Flourishes, and Volcanic Spites, and so you still have good cards but you happen to be low on removal, then I think you're in a spot where the Great Sword can uh, let your like creatures that otherwise wouldn't do anything because you wouldn't have enough removal to clear your opponent's blockers to actually connect with those creatures, the, the Great Sword can give you a plan in that spot. But the better plan is just to, you know, apply a clock of small creatures and then kill your opponent's stuff. So yeah, I'm going to turn it over to uh, chat for questions uh, after, of course, thanking my newest patron, patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. So thank you very much to Montes. And if anyone else would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Okay, low curve and still 17 lands because it's a deck with uh, cheap cards that still wants to spend all of its mana every turn, casting unseal, sacrificing, moving equipment. I think that red black is like grindy and small game enough and can have low enough curve and enough treasure generation um, and understanding that you probably don't want to prioritize most of the transform creatures. I, I could certainly see going to 16 maybe even 15 lands in red black i've mentioned that i don't really like cutting lands from decks in this format but i think the red black could easily be an exception to that sometimes now how do you value splashing in red black do you try to maneuver into those options skittering surveyor speculative jewels etc yeah so i think that red black despite the fact that you're a low like have a low curve and that could lead to seeing you as an, yourself as an aggro deck which would make someone want to uh, try to not splash. I think that the um, existence of treasure in the form of like Deadly Derision and Beatstick and card selection from Volcanic Spite and uh, Hangerback Scrounger, as well as just like playing a you know smaller, longer game due to having a bunch of removal, means that um, there are. There, there's space for splashing to be pretty good, especially if you can splash uh, cards that are good in small games. Like, uh, I know Invasion of Amonkhet and Halo Forger both have really, really good stats as splash cards in red-black. So I, I do think that, um, especially relative to other decks with curves this low, uh, red-black is a great place to um, be open to splashing. Are there any non-bomb cards that specifically push you into red-black from mono or another speculative dual duo? 
I think the cards to look for, again, as reasons to suspect that Red Black is open and that you can get paid for being there are uh, Invasion of Asgul and Furnace Reigns. Like, those are the cards that most have additional value in Red Black as opposed to, like, you know, the cheap value creatures and the removal spells are just kind of generically good and uh anyone's gonna want them so those those are the cards that you know are gonna go particularly late relative to how strong they are in this particular archetype which i think is the most likely exceptional reason to pivot outside of just like oh this color is clearly wide open i'm seeing a you know first pick quality or like a top quality common or uncommon fourth fifth sixth pick or whatever since blue-black tends to be a big game deck and black-red is looking for a small game, is that pivot harder than it looks? Or am I thinking more to make big black-red with a blue splash if I'm looking to pivot from blue-red? So you're saying blue-red wants to be wide um, for convoke purposes and black-red is looking to trade off resources, which makes convoke harder, uh, not so good. Is it harder to pivot? So... They both want to prioritize cheap creatures, which uh, can make the pivot easier. Once you lose the blue, you kind of lose the cards that are going for a big game, right? Like the card draw stuff is how you're actually able to achieve a big game. And so you end up like, I guess the reason that it would be difficult is if you've prioritized a bunch of the expensive red convoke stuff that is now awkward to use. I will say that when I was looking at uh, recent trophy decks, I noticed a lot of the 7-mana 4-4 Haste Dragon in red-black. Um, and I do think that, you know, if you have a bunch of, like, uh, the creatures that you want, like Rouse Reinforcements and Izumi Informant, um, those are small game cards that happen to be compatible with convoking so i think for the most part you're not going to run into a lot of issues there i guess is my answer to that i feel like if you're being passed any removal spells in either color that's a big signal yeah uh the um the removal is certainly a high pick just for anyone in those colors so if you're seeing it late it tells you that they're open max number of beat sticks you would ever play I can't really imagine putting the fourth in a deck. Um, obviously, to get to, you know, three, you would need to be a deck that's using it really well. I think two is, like, a pretty normal number to end up with. I guess it's hard to imagine going above two or possibly three in black-red. I could see three or four... If you are blue-red and have drafted around Rayev, the two-mana uncommon that gives equipped creatures double strike, does the red-black combination have enough support to play a Phyrexian tribal deck, thinking there are some black rares that have synergy with that type, um, or is it worth doing? So the the rares that want you to be Phyrexian tribal are the two-mana 2-2 two -two that pumps your Phyrexians and the 3-2 that can sacrifice Phyrexians. And I don't think either of those are impactful enough to greatly change how much you're prioritizing your other creatures just because you have them. So I think that there will be spots where you have those rares and they play fine in red-black, 
And sometimes, you know, your Phyrexians will be a little bit better because of them. But outside of, like, maybe you take a Furnace Goblin or Gremlin or whatever, the thing that dies, the uncommon one, two, that dies into a Phyrexian, maybe take that a little bit higher. But for the most part, I don't think that uh, those, like, Phyrexian rares should radically change how you're drafting. I just don't think they're impactful enough. Have you used Searing Barb? How does it feel playing with it if you've done so in Black Red? I have maybe played it once, and I don't think it came up a lot. The stats suggest that it's functional, but I really am not drawing on personal experience for that one. Another card that I want to mention that just has like pretty bad stats is um, Phyrexian Gargantua. And I do kind of wonder if... This one's suffering from the fact that people play higher curves than they should. I kind of wonder if in the ideal version of Red Black, where you're playing like a lot of removal and cheap creatures and Unsealed and Acropolis, if uh, Phyrexian Rager actually has a home and that people are just like, because they have a slightly higher curve, they're falling further behind earlier and the lose two life matters too much. And so the card doesn't perform well, but uh, you know if everything else were optimized, I could see Phyrexian Rager becoming good. I personally don't take Phyrexian Rager highly, but I do play it when it comes to me, and I don't feel like it's particularly underperforms the like low bar. Do any cards come to mind as being Timmy Bates? are uh, definitely temptations to avoid in terms of actual value. To some extent, like every card that costs, every creature that costs more than three mana, I, I would say like in particular, the 3-3 three, three menace, the freewheeler, the 3-3 three, three menace that transforms into a 4-5 menace that gets it to drop back. It's like, looks kind of, you know, high impact, super 1-E, but in practice just ends up being too much mana. It's like repurposing looks cool because it also gives you a creature, but you'd rather just murder something while the board is small and attack right away instead of getting the 3-3 uh, three, three over um, two turns when your opponent's uh, casting haymakers or 4-4s four anyway. Yeah, uh, the stats certainly agree with that conclusion. As usual, is Scab worth a splash in this archetype along with Unseal, or do you actually not want to uh, go at late game for Black Red? I've certainly done that, um, been mostly red-black re uh, removal with scab for grindy value off on seal. I can't point to stats that suggest that it's very good, but uh, it is certainly a plan and play pattern that I personally am drawn to and have not been disappointed with. So I guess I'll say, uh, yeah, scab is a card that you could consider splashing in that like blue value package with... Uh, Stuff like Invasion of Amonkhet and Halo Forger. And yes, of course, if you have Breach the Multiverse, then Splashing Scab gets uh, appreciably better. I found that I've been early picking lands for the first time around. Uh, how often is your black, red deck three or four color? Feels like mine is every time for the uh, black-green battle or um, some of the blue-black or blue-red cards. Even had the uh, white-black rare battle sneaking quite a few times. I'll note the black-green battle has abysmal stats in red-black. Uh, same, you know, expensive cards don't perform well situation. But to the larger question about playing multicolor, like I said earlier, I think that 
the existence of treasures and card selection and removal to extend the game uh, certainly leads to a spot where splashing is better than it would be in most decks with comparable curves. I don't know that I'm expecting to like go crazy with colors the way that I would if I'm like base green, but black-red splashing a single other color for some good rate powerful cards um, certainly makes sense to me. The thing that I would be worried about if I'm building my deck out of the most successful uh, commons and uncommons is I'd be worried about my deck being low impact and my opponent having some like kind of trashy like like overgrown pests and stuff that I don't really want to use removal spells on but that like invalidate my Nizumi informants and Rouse reinforcements as attackers and I do feel like you want to have some higher impact stuff to uh like draw to with this removal and ideally those would be red or black rares but you know if the kind of like game breaking powerful cards you see are another color i definitely think that you need to be open to taking and playing them and drafting in such a way as to make them work uh makes a lot of sense to me with so many low cost cards is Ren's resolve potentially playable in black red yes uh as long as your curve is actually very low i think Ren's resolve uh makes sense in red black you're you know playing small games you don't have access to a ton of card advantage and that is a reasonable source of card advantage again if and only if your whole curve is actually low i don't think that it plays well if you're using any of the like red convoke stuff and you have to be careful with it if your deck is like a bunch of removal in terms of like well maybe i don't want to play this if my opponent doesn't have anything i'd want to kill because what if i had a removal spell and stuff like that i think the card is a little bit awkward generally but i could certainly see it being um, a way to approach trying to deal with the problem of all of your cards being a little bit too small do you think the 5-4 reach tap deal 2 is good enough uh, to deal those last few points of damage uh, when you lack while building your deck? Uh, certainly hope not to have to play the 5-4 reach. Like I said, I, I think that you want to be prioritizing and building your deck out of all the cheap cards and then not playing any of the expensive commons and uncommons. If you don't get any powerful rares, I think... You know, you will end up with some random more expensive cards in your pool without actively taking them. And maybe you decide that your whole deck is too low impact to play them. I will suggest that you should err toward doing that as little as possible. Like, don't cut a better cheap card for an expensive thing because you're worried that you don't have a win con. But if you literally don't have enough cards, then you can fill out with those like higher impact expensive cards. Are there any non-red-black commons that conceptually play well in this space, like Converter Beast? Yeah, uh, Converter Beast is an interesting way to go here. The uh, three and a green, a one that uh, incubates five to get an extra object. Um, there's certainly like a, you know, Jundasac that's playing green value stuff. Uh, any combination of Converter Beast, Overgrown Pest, uh, burgeoning 
maybe even you know to some extent you can consider the three one surveil one creature value so uh yeah th there's something there's certainly you know you could be full jund i mentioned kind of the blue card advantage stuff to try to like break the small game white is going to be a pretty awkward pairing at common um in this space you're in a in a dangerous spot where you're kind of playing all three of the color come of the colors that like are worst and play worst together so uh, i would generally not advocate uh for mardu outside of high rarity cards so yeah i i will say you know obviously this is not a premium archetype so you're probably not here without rares and you definitely want to be drafting around uh expecting that those rares are going to be like how you're closing out games um even if it's something like judith uh judith might not be very expensive but it makes all of your cheap stuff um into like threats that can close out a game and so uh this like core of low impact but efficient cards um like i have a skeleton in the notes and the skeleton is just all cheap stuff um because those are the cards you want to be prioritizing and the deck when it's just commons kind of doesn't make a lot of sense but if you imagine like that plus like any two to three high impact higher rarity cards then it makes a lot of sense where you have these like cheap value cards that extend the length of the game and let you win with Breach or Chandra or um, Invasion of Innistrad or Fiora or, um, you know, what, whatever expensive cards you have. If you're in a space where all you have is these commons and you're like, should I play some of the high impact cards to win the game? I guess I would ask why you're red black <laughs> and uh, that something has to be like pretty wrong if you've gotten to a point where you're trying to use the commons as finishers because that's just they're just not good enough to do that and you should probably have pivoted into another color if you're not like stuck here because of rares and if you're stuck here because of rares then you're in really good shape that suggests conceptualizing this as small game means uh you want individual impactful cards but in this case that doesn't mean expensive high impact it means high quality good rate cards when the game is really small the best card wins um some portion of the time and so this like small game strategy works really well to maximize rares but you need to have those rares to maximize this i guess kind of ties directly into what i was saying about how this does seem like a space where splashing makes sense to me which means that fundamentally I see this as uh, largely a control deck, which, you know, the decks that are most interested in splashing are the decks that see the most cards, which are also the decks that most need to have and should be drafted around rares. So I guess my like final takeaway here is there's a lot of like, when and why should I do this? And while there are some synergies here, I don't think like exploiting those synergies should be enough of a reason to get you to prioritize red black. And I think that this is a deck that you'll have a much easier time with if you're 
drafting around maximizing a rare and that for basically any of the rares that you would be drafting around maximizing prioritizing these efficient creatures and removal spells is going to be the best way to do that so that that would be kind of be my closing uh synthesis here the, the final takeaway um and if you're like oh the final takeaway is just rares are good well, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Welcome to uh, Modern Limited, especially with an underperforming color pair. That's going to be it for uh, this week. Thanks for tuning in. And I will be back uh, next week with more of this. Aftermath just hit Arena. For anyone who's confused about Aftermath, which would be understandable as it's a new kind of set, uh, Aftermath is a 50-card product that exists uh, in paper as well as on Arena. Um, it is not designed to be drafted with this set or even at all. It is available uh, to be drafted on Arena um, in the form of just packs of March the Machines that each have a single Aftermath card. This is to help with uh, accessibility and availability on Arena, but it's really not its own limited format and uh, explicitly not designed for limited. I don't intend to switch to considering March plus Aftermath to be the current limited format because that format doesn't exist in paper. So my plan currently is not to uh, explicitly cover it or devote an episode to it or anything. Um, I just don't think that it really does enough to um, warrant a review or significant alteration of how you view limited. There, are, a lot of the cards just don't matter that much one way or another. A few of them are good. If you're uh, interested in drafting with aftermath, it shouldn't be terribly difficult to figure out which uh, cards are good and. Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, kind of detract from the uh, normal, like the paper audience or anything like that uh, with this other set. So for anyone who has questions about how this podcast will be addressing Aftermath, the answer is that I intend to uh, largely ignore it. If you are curious about it, I might play a few more uh, drafts with Aftermath on Arena on stream. Um, and could talk about some of the cards there, but for the most part, I am yeah, going to be uh, allocating minimal coverage or attention to Aftermath. Have a good week, everyone, and I'll be back next week with uh, another archetype from regular March the Machine. Uh, bye for now. Prepare for light speed.